Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Wednesday, October the 18th. And welcome to our commentary. Everybody around here is excited about the Rangers and the Astros tonight. Game three of the series. Uh, we'll probably have more to say about it tomorrow. But, I mean, this is – everybody's crazy right now. Baseball crazy around here. And this team is playing so well that it makes it very easy to get crazy about the Rangers. They have now won seven consecutive postseason games. You know, they beat uh, the Rays two to nothing. They beat uh, the Orioles three to nothing, meaning the, they swept both of those teams. And now they won the first two against Houston. So obviously the series is not over. Nobody is around here. At least I'm not. Uh, you never discount a team like the Astros who have been in the World Series four times in the last six years, and they have some of the best players in the game. So you never, never, never discount a team like that. But you got to love what the Rangers are doing. I mean, it's just absolutely great. So around 7 o'clock tonight, that's what I'll be doing. I'll be following the Rangers and the Astros on television. One of the One of the great things, of course, is when you have a team in the postseason, whatever sport it is, but, you know, baseball, of course, being a major sport, uh, you know, there's a lot of excitement. People get together to watch the game. People go to the bars and watch the game. I mean, it's just a lot of excitement. It sort of brings the community together in, in a way that uh, very few things do. Very few things do. It really brings people together. And that's, uh, that's the fun part, uh, sort of the off-the-field fun of the, of the game itself. So 7 o'clock tonight, we'll be... Uh, following the Rangers, and hopefully they win again. But, you know, again, they're playing a very tough team. Houston, that's a tough team. And you don't assume anything. You don't take anything for granted with a team that uh, that good. Well, now on to some of the serious stuff, and there's a lot of serious stuff in the world today. I mentioned yesterday that I thought it was a mistake to send President Biden to Israel. I, I He's not physically up to it. You know, I think it would have been better if, if they had sent a delegation. I mean, I understand the reason he went in the sense that I understand that we want to show maximum support for Israel at a time like this. So I understand that. I don't have a problem with the intention of showing that uh, support, but he's not the man to do it. I hate to say it. He is the president, but he's not the man to do it. And and as soon as he got there and you saw him physically go through the the meetings and the conferences and all of that. This is obviously a man, he was tired. And of course he would be tired. He just flew from Washington, D.C. to Tel Aviv. And even, you know, as, as uh, elegant and uh, comfortable as Air Force One is, you, you still have about a six or seven hour difference, maybe more, that you have to overcome. And that will take its toll on you, even if you're younger, that takes his toll on you. Here's an 81, almost 82-year-old man who is already slow to begin with. And you watch him go through the stuff. I mean, when he was having that one-on-one -on -one with the prime minister of Israel, you could tell he was reading everything. Um, this, is not, this is not a good image for the country. Not a good image at all. And I feel bad. I actually feel bad for him because, um, you know, where was the first lady here? This would have been a great opportunity for the first lady to step up and say, no, don't do that to him. Send somebody else. You know, Mrs. Reagan used to do that with President Reagan. Mrs. Reagan would uh, be constantly 
battling with the, you know, the, the, the White House uh, chief of staff or whoever was planning the president's schedule to make sure that they wouldn't overwork him, make sure that they understood that he was not, not only a man in his late 70s, but also a man who had been shot and had gone through, through all of that. And I'm a little surprised, I'm really surprised that the first lady didn't stand up and say, no, please don't do this. He, he's not the man. He's t it's too much for him physically. That is too much for him. And it is. It is too much for him. They should have sent a, a delegation. And when you see him, you know, reading things and talking about things, he started telling a story. And then, I don't know, it's like all of a sudden he forgot what he was saying. And then he says, well, I'll tell you later or something like that. And again, it's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing because you're talking about the president of the United States. This is not, you know, some meaningless position. He's the president of the United States. And at a time like this, you really have to project some strength, some strength, because you've got some pretty bad people on the other side uh, who are only going to be impressed if you're super strong against them. They're only going to be impressed if you show that you are stronger than they are. Now, we are militarily, of course, stronger, but you don't want to get to that level. You want to be able to to avoid any kind of military entanglement. You know, you don't want to do that in the Middle East. You don't want to be sending American Marines into Palestine or whatever to rescue Americans or into Lebanon to rescue Americans at the embassy. There was that fear last night that uh, the embassy was being, uh, you know, surrounded by a bunch of people, thankfully, the government of Lebanon protected the embassy like they're supposed to. But again, you know, last night when I went to sleep, I had no idea it was what I was going to wake up to uh, around the world, all these embassies and all this craziness. Now, President Biden is on his way back. And, you know, I hope he takes a pretty good rest when he gets back. I don't think he will because the events are unfolding in such a frightening speed over in Israel. Well, let's talk a little bit about this other story of the week, and that's the, the so-called hospital that was hit. You know, when this first happened, when the story first broke, my initial reaction was skepticism. And the reason that I reacted with skepticism is that I have a friend here. I haven't seen him in a long time, but I, I used to office here in, in Dallas about 10 or 15 years ago uh, with a gentleman who used to fly in the in the Israeli Air Force. And we would often talk, uh, you know, about that, the conflict over there. And I asked him one time, how difficult is it for the Air Israeli pilots to do your job? And he said, very difficult because we have very strict orders of not uh, attacking civilians. And sometimes, you know, they would have a they would have a target, but they would have to skip the target or go back because the target was full of children. And women, this is what they do. That's what Hamas does. They hide behind children and women or they put their, you know, their bombs in, in a school or a hospital or whatever it may be. So when the story first broke of the hospital bombing and 500 people dead and all that kind of stuff, I was very skeptical of it. I didn't believe it. Honestly, I just didn't believe it. I said, I got to hear more information. Uh, first of all, what? why would Israel hit a hospital? Not by mistake they could. I understand that. But why would they hit a hospital knowing everything that they were going to get for hitting that hospital? So I, I was always I was very skeptical of the story. 
Well, now it turns out that it was not hit by an Israeli missile. It was uh, apparently an accident or something they did to themselves. And now I understand it wasn't even the hospital that got hit. It was the parking lot. So the whole thing that was being broadcast coming out of, of the region yesterday, and many members of the media were talking about this, the whole thing is, is not what we heard. I mean, the, the whole thing was a farce. Uh, there was no Israeli attack in the hospital. The Israelis did not kill 500 people and so on and so on. He had members of Congress actually going before the microphones and blaming uh, the Israelis for these, uh, for these civilian casualties. So, you know, the moral of the story in that, uh, in that uh, part of the world, the moral of the story is you have to really be careful what you listen to when something is happening in the Middle East, you got to be very skeptical. When you first hear about it, you got to be very skeptical. And remember, there are some people who are trying to mislead you. There are some people who are trying to mislead you. And that's how I look at things. I don't believe them. When the stories first came out, I'm very skeptical. And my skepticism in this particular case turned out to be correct. The Israel did not hit a hospital and kill 500 people. How it happened? Well, uh, they're sort of finding out, but it was not the Israelis who dropped these bombs and killed uh, 500 people. So those members of Congress who are making these outrageous statements yesterday need to come out and apologize. And the media should force them to at least address the, the question because they were peddling a lot of lies yesterday on this particular day. I have a post coming out on Thursday, and we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, in another video, but I have a post coming out uh, Thursday about post over at the American Thinker coming out Thursday about mortgages and how more and more Americans are losing their homes. Now, there's a variety of reasons I go into it in the, in the post that I wrote, but a lot of reasons. One of the big reasons, by the way, is that uh, many people who were not paying college loans over the last couple of years are now going to have to pay those loans back. And that could put many of them uh, in a negative uh, negative cash flow, and many of them are going to be probably losing their homes. The article points out that this is going to get worse before it gets any better. That is, all these uh, all these people losing their homes in the country. So you know, you keep hearing about Biden economics is good, Biden economics is is working, but then you look at the reality. Well, the reality is that people are losing their homes. The reality is that the price of rent is going up. The reality is that the price of food is going up. Wholesale inflation just went back up in September. Uh, the reality is that more and more Americans are going into delinquency when it comes to more when it comes to uh, car loans and consumer loans. So no, Biden economics is not working. I don't care how much they tell you that it is; it's not. And I think it's about time that we started telling the truth and talking about the fact that the economy is not doing well and the anxiety that people feel is perfectly correct in feeling feeling that way. I guess we don't have a speaker yet, so we'll wait for the next time they vote. This is ridiculous, by the way, as I mentioned before. This is completely ridiculous that uh, the Republicans have put themselves in this boat. I, I, I am very angry at the Republican Party for allowing this to happen. We have a majority in the House. Let's start acting like a majority and let's start working together, not against each other. We're not going to help us when we're working against uh, each other. A couple of a couple of things on this day, in, uh, on this birthday, on this day in history. 
First of all, we remember a lady by the name of Barbara Billingsley. You probably remember her as June Cleaver, the mother on that great show, Leave it to Beaver. She was the Beaver's mom and Wally's mom and one of the greatest uh, television moms of all time. So June Cleaver, who was born Barbara Billingsley, was born on this day in 1920, I believe, passed away in 2010. And we also remember one of the great grandfathers of rock, Chuck Berry, who was born in St. Louis on this day in 1926. He passed away in 2017. If you listen to rock and roll music, if you like rock and roll music, and especially if you like uh, the rock and roll guitar, then you know who Chuck Berry is. He was the greatest. Uh, I think it was John Lennon who said that Chuck Berry invented rock and roll. Yes, yes, he did. Elvis put it on the radio, no denying that. But I think it was Elvis who really invented rock and roll. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas. Go Rangers. And uh, go Rangers. I'll say it again. Bye-bye, everybody, and thank you for listening.